I'm Cameron DeBazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We are now in the fourth lesson of the third quarter, all about rest in Christ. The title of this week is The Cost of Rest. Um, Pastor Howard, you were putting together the talking points for this week, and apparently it was a very seamless, easy process, was it not? <laughs> we won't go into all that. Okay. We will say that as you and I were discussing it, the lesson, I don't think the le lesson ever clearly defines the cost of rest. Or, we as we were talking, not only define what the cost is, but to whom it costs. Yes. Like, like who's the cost for? So, yeah. in other words, I made an assumption you know, right. if, our, if our quarterly is, and, and this may be the right or the wrong assumption, but if our quarterly is rest in Christ, rest in Christ really is talking about our salvation yes. and our assurance that comes from salvation. What was the cost for that? Mm -hmm. To me, the cost was Calvary, and so mm -hmm. that's going to come into our talking points. But you were conjecturing that it could be talking about repentance. The lesson goes into repentance. Dave's repentance. Is it saying our repentance is a cost? I don't like that concept because... That, that concept because Scripture says that repentance itself is a gift from God. Mm. So to say that I'm paying the price for, for my salvation, it's kind of... Oh, you certainly don't want to yeah. go there. Yeah. So anyway, that's why I went with... So there yet. might be some cost to you, but the real cost is to Christ, and that's what we're But I didn't find in the lesson where it said, you know, like, the lesson opens on Sabbath afternoon and says there is a cost. Uh-huh. True rest has a cost, but it doesn't necessarily fell out or I'm just looking right over it. So, okay. having said all that, yes. Um, why don't we pray and then I will go into our talking points for this week. Okay, well let's bow pray? our heads. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for another week of life. Thank you for the opportunity to study these important themes. Bless us now as in this few minutes together we go over these lessons and help the Sabbath school classes to be blessed by our preparations. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've brought it up before, and I'll bring it up. I won't belabor it. Maybe this is belaboring it, but I can imagine that some of our teachers are having a, tr a trouble getting, you know, putting, drawing out the talking points. I again, it feels like like this whole week's lesson is about David's sin with Bathsheba and the aftermath. Mm -hmm. And so part of me is like, well, why don't we just talk about that? And we're going to talk about rest and restlessness, and we're going to take take this concept, and then we're going to try to back in and wedge into this story, it feels like. So well, just, to, to your point, though, it is, at least this week, is a singular story, for the most it part. Is. It's the story of this, and so, in it, though it's under the umbrella of this rest motif, you can essentially So I just want to be clear that it, it, it may not flow with my thinking as well as I'd like. For some of you, maybe this is like, oh no, it goes great. So I'm not trying to trash talk anybody, but our purpose for Talking Points is to help, especially Sabbath School teachers, to know what to do with the lesson. And I want to revert back to what we've said before, that the scripture is always the lesson book Absolutely. for um, Sabbath School. And that's maybe why I have I've, I've been challenged a little bit this quarter because the concept of rest and restlessness, while the concepts may be scriptural, it's not in, in an eisegesis, um, an exegesis rather of scripture mm. where you're drawing it out and here's the concept and we've defined it this way. It's more of a, this is how I read it and I'm going to put it back into the story. Right. So, having said all that, this is what I came away with, with talking points based on this story of uh, David and his experience. Number one, the cost of sin 
ex is exorbitant and unbearable. Now I know the lesson is the cost of rest. I'm starting mm -hmm. out with the cost of sin and contrasting. The cost of sin is exorbitant and unbearable. Okay. Number two, the cost of rest is Calvary. So there's a cost of sin, and then there's the cost of rest. That's right. Okay. And and again, reading that rest is that rest in Christ, salvation rest, the assurance that comes from that rest. To, and I don't know if we mentioned it, but number one came from Sunday and Monday. Yes. Number two then comes from Tuesday and Friday. Interesting yes. pairing. Yes. Okay. And then number three is after creation, we rest. And that'll take a little explanation, okay. but you'll see where I got it from. And that comes from Wednesday and Thursday's lesson. Okay. Well, I think we got it. Let's go walking through our talking points. Number one, the cost of sin is exorbitant and unbearable. Okay. Well, again, our story is on David and his fall into mm -hmm. sin with Bathsheba, the adultery, and then the subsequent murder of her husband, Uriah, on the front lines. And, um, of course, when we think about sin, we think about, or restlessness, or however we're going to frame it, we think about the cost, the wages of sin is death. Mm. But beyond that, we think of David's sin, and, and, and I guess even before I dive into it, one thing that struck me in this lesson, because we're talking about rest, rest in Christ, is that the reason David fell into sin is because he was resting in Jerusalem. Okay, all right. So he was resting, but not the because resting the Bible Christ says that was being advised. It was a time, I mean, it starts the story with, it was a time when the kings go out to war. What was David? Not out to war. He was a king. <laughs> yeah. And where was he not going? Out to war. Yeah. And so because David was resting in Jerusalem, it got him into all this trouble. Mm. So I made a note that there's a difference between resting from Christ and resting in Christ. Okay, so he was resting from duties he should have been doing and following Christ the way he should have. And in his own resting, he actually experienced the restlessness that sin... Well, exactly. we're going to get into that. Yeah, exactly. So, so I put a sub-point here. Incidentally, this was a time when David should have been working. Resting in the wrong way leads to restlessness. Mm. Now, that's, a t a lot of that's, people worth like the rest that's worth the lesson <laughs> right there. Yeah. A lot of people like to talk about rest today, but are we resting the way God intended? God has a rest and a way Is of resting. Is it possible you could even take time off of work, go on a vacation, oh. seek after your own ways, and still be restless? Wait, you're digging into last week's lesson, right? The core of all restlessness, right. sin, selfishness. Right. And if I'm just living for myself like in self -care my rest. Like self-care may not be the Like, look at me. Yeah. I bought a boat. I'm out on the boat. Yeah. I'm out yeah. on the lake. And yeah. this and that. Not that those things are inherently right. evil, but if I'm just living for me, and right. everything's about me and my rest is all about me it's never going to truly satisfy no. the deep longing take right. my yoke upon you and you'll find rest I love it says. Okay? so anyway kind of going into the story now David's sin when you think about the cost of sin I'm talking about the cost of sin being exorbitant and unbearable nobody can pay the cost of sin well only one and yes. that was Jesus as we're getting into so but beyond the, the wages of sin is death think about what David's sin cost first himself Mm. In in just his his reputation, his resolve. Look at the effect. If you read the story of David, literally to the fourth generation, when you look at the, the, the mm. what God had said the sin would lead to, the effect it had on how he disciplined or didn't discipline his children and everything. Um, the 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 cost again to his own thought processes, his reputation, his resolve. Mm. Uh, the cost to Bathsheba. And her reputation, the cost, the loss of her child, the loss of her husband. Think about the aftermath of that. Mm. You know, just living through that, 
And in so, a I mean, room. Then there's the cost of Uriah. There's the cost of the, the soldiers in the field, the David's reputation as a leader to the whole kingdom. I mean, That's the right. ripple effects of this aren't just David and Bathsheba and Uriah. I mean, it just goes on. We talk about in the church today, you know, we try to reach this generation of the, the, the 30-somethings and the 20, you know, in this black hole of church mm-hmm. attendance, the young adult yeah. group. But I think, and I think we should, but there's a reason I think we see more older people. And that's because, you know, the church, the people in the church come in later years because the costs of sin become more evident to They've them. They've started taking account I mean, of their life. I mean, you take David and, like, and Bathsheba, man. even in their, 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 with their adultery and their young and everything, as they live on, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure it wasn't easy for Bathsheba to lose her husband, but it wasn't so discouraging that she didn't jump back with David and get mm-hmm. married already, come into the palace and everything else. You see that in our world where people go into these wrong decisions, but the costs, uh, they're like exponential, exponential. they just keep increasing. Cost to David, cost to Beth, of course, the cost to Uriah, the cost to Joab being led to compromise and being an accomplice of David, the cost to the people of Israel. You think of, you know, the the, the loss of their king and his resolve, the whole Absalom aftermath. I mean, Mm. just the cost, the, the consequences of sin are incredible, even though David, as we're going into this lesson, went to the Lord, received genuine forgiveness mm-hmm. from God, it did not erase the cost. Well, it's the principle that Paul talked about in Romans 14, right? In verse yes. 7, it says, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. So our <laughs> life so and our influence in this world is not, we're not self-contained little bubbles. We connect. How many times do you hear somebody say, Hey, why you got to push that on me? Let me live my own life my way. Why do I mm. go to- Nobody lives his or her own life their own way. Mm. Everything affects somebody else. You just, Mercy. Yeah. And a lot of times we ask, well, why do, why do good people die and suffer the consequences of sin? Because other people sin. And yeah. there's no such thing as well, sinning. If a guy goes out and gets drunk and drives his car, there's a consequence for that, even on the innocent. Well, you think about the reverberating consequences of sin just in the story of David here and mm-hmm. how it went from him to the to Bathsheba to, and we outlined the whole yes. to, Now, that's just one man's sin. Well, Bathsheba had her own sphere of influence that overlapped but had unique outlets and then everyone had sin. So we live in a world where if everyone is sinners and sinning and all of those have consequences, no wonder there's such tumult and, and upheaval in our society and world. We can't find rest because we're all living not only with our own sin and it's consequences right. but the results you know tangentially of other people's it's it's quite a mess <laughs> that's right well that leads us into this talking point number two i mean what so how do we deal with that exorbitant cost i mm. mean high nobody can pay mm. but christ paid it and so talking point number two the cost of rest how do we have rest after all that mm. not just the initial sin the added sin the consequences of that and the the the, the downhill <laughs> rolling you know i think the snowball just picking yes, up size and speed effects. how do we get out of that how do we come in to experience rest the cost of that rest was calvary i mean mm. jesus and and i think of the my the text that my mind went to is isaiah 53 you mm. have it no, I was actually going to look up another text, but okay. Isaiah 53 is probably well known enough where it talks the, about yeah. the chastisement says, of our peace was upon him. Yeah, and think the Lord about has the laid on him the iniquity of all. The chastisement for our peace. What's that saying? His chastisement was necessary to bring me peace or rest. The NIV says the punishment that brings us peace was upon him. Mm. And so, what is the cost for us having that? rest from sin, from guilt, that freedom, that assurance. Mm. It was Calvary for Jesus. 
When you see it even before, I mean, Calvary was the physical manifestation, but the sin itself in the Garden of Gethsemane was laid on him, right? He, Jesus explains how my soul is sorrowful even to the point of death, and he's sweating great drops of blood before he yes. had, that this weight of sin that reached its culmination in mm. the death on Calvary was literally squeezing out the life of Christ in a way we can't I'm so glad you brought that it. up because I wanted to bring that up. The cost of sin being exorbitant and unbearable. The reality is we talk about our guilt and we talk about our shame. We don't bear the full guilt and shame of our sin. So true. And we don't real people don't realize that. God shields us from bearing the full weight. The only one who bore the full weight is Christ and it crushed it, That's right. The in life fact, out of the him. Bible even talks about how an angel had to come and support Christ in this because That's he right. even in his humanity couldn't bear the weight. He had to be propped up to even yes. to get to Calvary because of the weight of sin. It's incredible. So you've got the, 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 the cost of rest is Calvary. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. It's interesting, and I don't think it's a coincidence that David's sin initially cost him the death of his firstborn. I think there was mm. a lesson in that, just like for Abraham when he was asked to offer up Isaac, mm. you know, and of course an the angel's lesson. hand right. stayed uh, Abra or yeah, Abraham's, Abraham's hand, hand yeah. right? Uh, so he didn't kill, but um, there was no angel's hand to stay that sword of justice on Calvary. Mm. And so I think there was an object lesson for David about that cost. And mm. that realization move David to repentance, and much of the lesson talks about the repentance of David, and there's something I want to say. So you have Psalm 51 over Yeah, because I know we were looking at David's attitude about his repentance, and it's how deep it is, right? Well, um, start with verse 4, and we'll, we'll move around in there, but verse 4, the lesson highlights it, and it sounds so crazy in light of what we just talked about, the cost to everybody. Yeah, it costs everybody, but then David declares in Psalm 51, 4, speaking to God against you, you only have I sinned. And done this evil in your sight, <laughs> that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. You want to say how selfish? It, well, it wouldn't like, have been so bad. I mean, from a human perspective, against you have I sinned. Like that's true. He one yeah. of one of the people he said, but he says you you only. Yeah. He's like you are the ultimate aggrieved party here that I have yeah. sinned against. And he's like, well, Uriah was sinned against. You know. Yeah. But he says. And that's not to diminish, again, anything against Uriah, of course, because that's a reality, too. But, right. but David recognizes the root of his problem is not just the consequence of a sin and not just the effects of it on the surface, but going paid from last week's lesson. It was a spiritual problem between him and God that was the cause right. of all other effects. I think if we backtrack a little bit and look at verse 3, David says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. And it was, um, my, my brother Jim actually brought this point up at some point, and I'd, I'd never really given it this thought before. I acknowledge my transgressions. You know, a lot of times when people do wrong, when we sin, mm -hmm. we want to say, we want to make it appear not so bad. So we say, uh, you know, I probably should, you know, I know, the, I know the church doesn't agree with that. Or I know my parents mm. don't agree. You know, and then it's almost like, it would I kind of them. really it would, didn't yeah, yeah. sin. I mean, when I did wasn't, Terrible, but, but they it was terrible. Have liked it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so when David says, I acknowledge my transgressions, what he's saying is, I acknowledged my sin to actually be sinful. Mm. Like he was owning, like what I did was morally wrong. Mm. And this is this is what he's trying to get at when he says, Against you and you only have I sinned. It wasn't Bathsheba's law he broke. 
It wasn't Joab's law, Uriah's law. It was God's law. It wasn't law just that a cultural broke. norm that made him right. It, it was a it was a divine injunction that he violated. So he wasn't trying to lessen the responsibility or culpability with the other individuals, but he was doing something that's a a, a part and parcel of true repentance, and that is mm. he was acknowledging what he did cost the mm. life of Christ. Mm. And we don't do that oftentimes. We say, well, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that, but. But mm-hmm. we cost the David. So true repentance acknowledges the cost of rest. Um, mm-hmm. There's a statement there from Patriarchs and Prophets. It's taken from um, Monday's Quarterly as well. But if you would read it, I have it here. Sure. In the notes. It says all wrong done to others reaches back from the injured one to God. David had committed a grievous sin toward both Uriah and Bathsheba, and he keenly felt this. But infinitely greater was his sin against God. So he keenly felt the sin toward Uriah and Bathsheba. He wasn't trying to... wasn't discrediting it in some way. But yeah. he realized that he had violated... the mm. and, and not just the law of God, but he loved God. Yeah. And he, he thought he through He rebelled whole, against this God he loved. Even through yeah. this whole sin, he didn't realize it until Nathan pointed it out. So he, he felt like he was good with God. Mm. And he realized what he had done to the heart of God. And it Mercy. just broke his heart. Mm. So now... Uh, despite the enormity of the cost, I have here at the bottom of this particular page of notes, despite the enormity of the cost, the rest purchased on Calvary is freely offered to all who will receive it. We've talked about how the cost, nobody could pay it but Jesus. Mm -hmm. But Jesus freely paid that and offers that rest to all who will receive it. The lesson Mm -hmm. highlights John 6, 37, where Jesus says, he who comes to me, I will know my, if -hmm. anyone comes to me, I will know wise cast him out. And then um, Friday's quarterly, the third and fourth paragraph of that quote from Patriarchs and Prophets. You want to read that, those last two paragraphs? Are we starting with this passage? Uh, Yes. Okay. This passage in David's history is one of the most forcible illustrations given us of the struggles and temptations of humanity and of genuine repentance. Through all the ages, thousands of the children of God who have been betrayed into sin have remembered David's sincere repentance and confession, and they also have taken courage to repent and try again to walk in the way of God's commandments. Whoever will humble the soul with confession and repentance, as did David, may be sure that there is hope for him. The Lord will never cast away one truly repentant soul. It's a powerful mm. statement. So important. David was an adulterer. David was a murderer. There are times when, oh, that person can't be forgiven. And, and, and what Ellen White says here is all through the ages, this story. This is model. Repentance. And, you know, if it were a history book, they would have left that out. David's a hero, and you don't want to paint your heroes up to be in that mm. light. So people wonder why it's one of the evidences of the, of the divine right. nature of Scripture. But well, because God's intent with the Scripture isn't just to tell a story or even... A, a history that could be accurate. He wants to get to the spiritual root of the issues and That's say, right. like, I need you to highlight this because it needs to be a template for your repentance. That's too. exactly right. And so this this story of David gives that uh, puts that stamp on God's willingness to forgive whoever comes to Him. Amen. Uh, so our third talking point is after creation we rest. And I'm actually <laughs> what what got me thinking about this was on Wednesday's lesson. To be clear, whenever I when we reviewed this for a minute, yes. I was like, "Don't you mean after repentance? Don't you mean after this?" And you're like, "No, no, no. The word is correct there. After creation, where's creation coming from?" So, so Wednesday, Thursday's lesson. If you go to the last paragraph on Wednesday, uh, partway through that paragraph, it makes this point. It says, "We need His rest, a divine act of recreation." 
Creation rest is not far from forgiveness. Mm. And then David, he quotes David, create in me a clean heart, which is a memory verse this week. Oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. He uses creation terminology. In the Old Testament, only God can create. And once we have been recreated, we can rest. Mm. And so I thought, well, that's an interesting that's idea. Heavy. So yeah. just like God, obviously you work before you rest, but mm-hmm. in that it was the works of creation. The lesson makes the point that similarly, we find our rest in Christ after we, Christ, we come to Christ mm. and he he recreates us in his image. Mm. And of course, we can talk about the ongoing process of work that Christ d- does in us. We're not talking about the totality of right, sanctification. Right, but in Scripture, there are the two great works of Christ, essentially, is the work of creation, in which he sig- signified that with Sabbath rest, yes. and it is the work of recreation, of redemption. And of course, he, after he died on the cross, he rests, but also we find our rest in his work of recreation. That's it's right. Powerful. So it's no coincidence that David, longing for the rest that comes from the assurance of sins forgiven after this mm-hmm. this experience, prayed, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. He understood that connection, that the rest would come after God created And notice it doesn't him. just say like tweak or modify or improve. Mm-hmm, no. it, it has to start from scratch. Give me something brand new. Well, and in that 51st uh, Psalm, he mentions purging with hyssop. Now, what, mm-hmm. what was hyssop about? Well, it was a sanctuary tool. It was a, a part of the process for cleansing of ritual, right. ceremonial cleansing of sin in the sanctuary process. And so here David's applying that to himself. So what's, what's interesting is he, you know, we think sometimes, a lot of times when people ask for forgiveness, and I say people, I shouldn't say people. When Me. we ask for forgiveness, <laughs> yeah. when I ask for forgiveness, I might just be asking because I got caught or because of the consequences. And I don't mm. like the consequences so much. But am I really asking for cleansing, for for I don't want to do that again kind of cleansing? I don't want that in there as an option anymore. And it's yeah. interesting in Christianity at large, it's it, a lot of the gospel good news is, oh, God forgives. And that's, you know, that's what we, that's our focus. He just, he declares us righteous and it's that's mm. good enough. But that's never good enough for a person who loathes their sin. Mm. You know, you think of an alcoholic, and I bring up an alcoholic. Any one of us has bad habits. You could say, you know what, you're forgiven, and God winks at your ignorance, whatever else. Of course, he commands us to repent, we know it. But that's all the study. But, but the I'm fact not that happy you're with just it. calling me good and saying, hey, you're fine. It's like, yeah. well, I'm glad you account me as fine, but... I still have this thing in me. That's I still right. got this problem. I don't want to face and it again. And those yeah. problems in us lead us to do things that we are ashamed of. Mm. You know, whether it be a, a using drugs or womanizing or mm. any other mm. kind of, like, I don't want to keep doing that. Yeah. David is like, David, look, you're forgiven. You're probably going to commit adultery next t- again. Next Bathsheba, come back yeah. and see me again. He's like, no, no, I don't want there to I be another I don't want again. there to be another Bathsheba. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's what's powerful to me when he says, purge me with his up, creating me a clean heart. This is what he was asking for. Mm. Why don't you read that? Uh, there's a quote here from, again, Friday's quarterly lesson. It's the first uh, paragraph there. And he, of course, Patriarchs and Prophets 725. Mm-hmm. David's repentance was sincere and deep. There was no effort to palliate his crime. To palliate, to of course, it. means to excuse or to anesthetize it, right? Yeah. No desire to escape the judgments threatened inspired his prayer. He saw the defilement of his soul. He loathed his sin. It was not for pardon only that he prayed, but for purity of heart. In the promises of God to repentant sinners, he saw the evidence of his pardon and acceptance. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a con- and a broken a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So David longed, as every sinner does in true repentance, for mm. purity of heart, purity of life. 
Mm. Um, and you'll notice this statement is got uh, it's got ellipses all the way through it. So I'd encourage you to read that chapter in Patriarchs and Prophets yeah. and get the full force yeah, of the story. Yeah, I noticed fantastic. Not just a few, but if my, by my count, there are ten different yeah. set of ellipses all through this. So there's a lot well, more. Well, I've to done that it in substance. our in our notes a lot of times just to fit something in. And but go so back and look that, up those statements. Right? Yes. There's a lot of, there's richness we just can't fit onto a page. So and then of course after this experience of David, I found this fascinating that you know in one of my it's one of my favorite passages, Psalm 51, 12, and thirteen, where he says, "Restore to me the joy of." your salvation Mm -hmm. Um, and he goes on to say then I will teach transgressors your ways Mm -hmm. so he puts a connecting link between teaching transgressors the ways and sinners being converted like witnessing is predicated on us having the joy of salvation Mm -hmm. you know when you're excited about something you share something and, and David was praying for that joy of salvation and he understood that that and what I put is David recognized that true rest in Christ formed the basis of his effective witness as mm. it does for ours. And you can imagine if David recognized the enormity of his sin and transgression, he was yeah. broken at heart of it, and then the Lord does what he says, creates him in a new heart, he gives him a fresh start, and he gives him a, a power to overcome. Yes. That's something to talk about. Absolutely. And so he's like, man, if that happens, I'm going to go out and tell everybody about it. Then, and the then, lesson has yeah. some good examples of that on Thursday, just talking about how did you go through his his several of his phrases there in the 51st uh, Psalm, talk about how he will, you know, deliver me from, in verse 14, the guilt of thy bloodshed, O God, uh, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Mm. Open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Everything he's talking about is like, I want to speak, I'm going to speak for you mm. and proclaim your name and your praises and, mm. and glorify you and witness for you. But it's built on this experience of knowing he has rest in Christ, his sins are forgiven, his, he's been cleansed and purged, and the Lord has restored to him. What did Jesus joy say? Of Out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. That's right. Right. So if he's filled up with this new life of Christ, there's a there's a well in him that he's like, I'm going to tell everybody, and that should be our experience as well. Absolutely. Uh, I've concluded with a statement actually that that comments on David's this portion of teaching sinners your ways, teaching transgressors the joy of salvation, etc. It's found in the Review and Herald of June 24, 1884. It's in our notes, and it says, We need to open our hearts to the influence of the Spirit of God and to experience its transforming power. That's what we've been talking about. The reason that you do not receive more of the saving help of God is because the channel of communication between heaven and your own souls is clogged by worldliness, love of display, and desire for supremacy. That kind of builds back Mm. to last week's lesson. While some are conforming more and more to the world's customs and maxims, we should be molding our lives after the divine model. And our covenant-keeping God will restore unto us the joys of his salvation and uphold us by his free spirit. And then she quotes, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Mm. The nearer we live to God, the more we shall be able to accomplish for our fellow men, for the Lord will work with our efforts. Amen. What a promise that not only will we have a desire to go win souls and to tell people about it, but as we live close to God, that he will empower us Amen. for not only victory over sin, but victory in witnessing, too. That that's He's right. going to work more effectively through this clear that, channel. That's part of that clean heart that he's giving us. Oh, powerful stuff. So um, I really do. I know that it might be a struggle to you know line up the lesson points mm-hmm. and everything, but when you do, there are some very strong themes about the nature of sin and and the nature of the power of God to convict uh, to convict yes. us of our sin and to cleanse us and to create in us a, a new Amen. life and experience. So blessings for you and your Sabbath school classes this week. And as we close, let's do so with prayer. 
Heavenly Father, again we thank you for the opportunity to be not only alive for the time being here in this world, but Lord, we want more than this world has to offer. We want the eternal life that can start now as we experience the true freedom that Christ gives us. Help us to find rest in Jesus, genuine, deep, uh, life-changing rest. And from that uh, spring, Lord, help us to uh, be witnesses for you. So bless all the Sabbath school classes and bless each one of us individually for I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.